You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you're here. If you're, if you're visiting, we want you to know like this is a safe place to explore faith in Christ. Wherever you're coming from spiritually, we're, we're really happy you're here. Uh, you can ask questions, you can doubt, you can be curious, and, and we'll be glad uh, to be able to interact with you and to get to know you and all of that. And so, please, I just hope you uh, know that about us. We're, we're far from perfect, but uh, you know, we really are committed to um, practicing the way of Jesus together in Austin, and that includes loving people well. And so that's, that's our aim, and we hope that you would experience that with us here and that we could become your spiritual family, your, your church home. So glad that you're here with us. Uh, picked a great Sunday to be here, everybody, because we're beginning a brand new teaching series today that we're calling Life Together. And uh, in this series, we're going to be diving deep into the topic of community. And we're going to talk about community because, uh, well, like as I said last week, uh, community is one of the key things that God uses in our life to make us more and more like Jesus. If you remember last week, I talked about community actually being Jesus' school of love, right? The school of love. And that's where he trains us and helps us become people that are pervaded by love just like Jesus is. And so... uh, community is incredibly important for that reason. That's one of the reasons we're going to spend a couple weeks, four weeks on this topic, but it's not the only reason. The other reason we're going to spend some time on this is because a community is really good for for us. Like, it's really good for you. And like, to a surprising extent, as I was preparing for this message, I was, uh, I was shocked by a uh, study that was done by a Canadian psychologist uh, over, uh, that looked at the, the blitz that happened in, you know, in 1940-41 in London when the Nazis were bombing London. And in this study, what they found, and this is like, this is bizarre, okay? But uh, what they found was that during the Blitz, the depression rates in London actually decreased. How, how wild is that? And so uh, that many, many researchers have taken this study and they've, they've, they've spent some time on it. And they tried to figure out, okay, why did that happen? And you know what they concluded? Or let me put it this way. You know what they didn't conclude? They didn't conclude that depression rates decreased during the Blitz because uh, people just turns out to really like being bombed by Nazis. That's, that's actually what they, they, they didn't, they ruled that one out. So what they actually found was that uh, people's depression rates decreased during that time because uh, being bombed created a sense of community in London where people really pulled together. And that in this large city of London where everyone's isolated, it's you know, so easy to get lost in just a million people or whatever it was in 1940, that, that, that people actually had a sense of like coming together during that crisis. And as a result, depression rates dropped. Now, after the Blitz, uh, 
depression rates went back to their normal levels. Isn't that wild? Uh, turns out community is extremely powerfully good for us. And on the flip side, uh, loneliness is not. <laughs> uh, think about a uh, famous uh, article written, by the, uh, in, written in the Harvard Business Review in 2017. Uh, phys- physician and former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy noted, quote, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. And in that same report, Murthy called the condition of loneliness a growing health epidemic. And he pointed and pointed to the research showing that loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction of lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and, and even greater than that which is associated with obesity. In addition, multiple studies have tied loneliness to heart disease, dementia, and of course, anxiety and depression. Now, what's interesting, though, is that even with all of the growing scientific data on how healthy, how good it is for you to be in community and how bad it is for you to be lonely, uh, the, the uh, rates of uh, isolation and loneliness and the lack of engagement in community continues to uh, decline. That people continue to step out of community. Perhaps, uh, this is clearly seen in church attendance. That since the 1950s, church attendance has been cut in half. And it's easy to just read that as a statement about the growing rate of secularism in our society and the decline of the church. But what that misses is that it's not just church attendance that's been in decline. Robert Putnam the, uh, from Harvard University in his highly regarded book, Bowling Alone, which is a little bit old now, but still really a go-to source for this. He, he makes the point that it's, it's not just church attendance that's in decline. It's all forms of community that require any kind of commitment. Hence the title, uh, Bowling Alone. The Bowling League the uh, you know, Lions Club, the Country Club, et cetera, et cetera. Any kind of group, that, that any kind of uh, community that requires commitment is on the decline. And of course, the COVID pandemic has made all of this worse. Multiple studies have reported that loneliness has increased substantially since you know, the outbreak of the pandemic, with 36% of all Americans and, and, uh, young, and actually 61% of young adults and 51% of all mothers of young children reporting that they are uh, seriously lonely. Seriously lonely. And what that means is that uh, there's a 51% chance that a mom with young children living on your street is Lonely, seriously lonely. And students, what that means is that uh, six out of every ten people you pass on the UT campus or sit around in class, they're seriously lonely. 
And what that means is that the chances are even uh, 36% or more than a third of us sitting in this room are seriously lonely. And so friends, as followers of Christ who are committed to seeing the day when a God's kingdom comes and his will is done in Austin as it is in heaven, we want to help change that. We want to help change that for you and for the people around you. Uh, and so we're spending some time talking about community because community as it turns out, is really, really good for you. Uh, we don't do well without it. I like this quote from the book Relational Soul. Uh, the, the authors are two uh, psychologists, and they write about community and discipleship. And here's, here's what they say. It says, that at the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for and defined by our relationships. We were born with a relentless longing uh, to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connect, connection and communion. And that uh, observation is absolutely true. But it is not new. <laughs> because back in Genesis chapter uh, 2, well, that... that wasn't supposed to all rhyme. I'm getting a little Dr. Susie here. But um, in Genesis chapter 2, right from the very uh, beginning, uh, God said this, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, uh, that statement, I just want to spend a couple minutes on that because... Um, that, given the context of that statement, this is, this is a pretty weighty statement. Like, think about the, co the context, even just the, the, the literary context. Like, if, you, uh, if you're familiar with the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, then you know that uh, it was God's pattern to create and then to examine his work, and then he would say, it is good. Right? And so, like, God creates light, and he, then he says, it is good. And God creates the sky, and the sea separates them, and he says, it is good. And that pattern continues on and on and on until God creates the man. And then he looks at his work, and he says, it is not good. <laughs> right? No amens, ladies? I, I thought I might hear something on that, but... He says, it's not good. he says it's not good for the man to be alone. It's the first time he makes a statement that it's not good. This up being created was not good. That, that's, that's significant, right? And then even think about this in the context of where Adam was when God says it's not good. Like he's literally living in paradise. Like Adam is in the Garden of Eden. When you think about this, like he had the best food right? Like the best food, better than Uchiko, better than, you know, just think about places around Austin. It's like better than that. He had all the beauty. I mean, it was just the most beautiful thing in the world. He had all the comfort. He had all the power, like he dominion over creation. He had all the wealth, like literally everything. He owned everything, like he owned the world, right? And so like he had, he owned all, like he's, and on top of all of that, he had this incredible 
relationship with God. Like we're given a hint in Genesis 3, like that God would come in the cool of the day and walk with Adam. Like they would walk together, talk together, like this perfect, beautiful relationship with God himself. And yet even then, God looks at Adam's state and says, hey, it, it, something's missing. Something is off. Something is not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, um, before I go on, let me just make a real quick observation on this. Caleb, just what, a, what an awesome testimony, Caleb. That was so great. And he, he was highlighting how there's just these lies, right, that we can believe. Well, I want to highlight another lie, a lie of the world that, that um, this really confronts. Because there's a common lie that the world tries to sell us, and it's this. It's, it's, it's if you want the you know, ideal life, if you want the good life, the the Garden of Eden kind of life, right? The world will say, here's what you need to do. You need to put relationships on the back burner. You need to, not, don't build your family. Don't, don't dive into deep community and build strong friendships. Instead, like if you really want the good life, then what you need to do is you need to prioritize your career and making money and moving up the ladder, right? Like, and so, you know, whatever... Uh, whatever you need to do, how many hours you need to work to, in order to make some money, work those hours because that's how you're going to get the good life. And, and if your job requires you to travel all the time, then travel all the time. And if you need to move for whatever job to be able to keep moving up and up and up, then move and move and don't have any stable relationships. But that's okay because all of that can come later if you want the good life, the garden kind of life then you need to prioritize making the money and building your career. And friends, I just don't know how more vividly God's word can tell us that that is not true. Here's Adam literally living in paradise, and yet it's not paradise because he's all alone. But here's what that means for us. It means... um, Hey, de- prioritize developing strong friendships, strong relationships. Prioritize community for those that are married. Prioritize your family. Because, uh, as God would say, it's not good for man to be alone. All right, so, uh, you know, just, just want to point that out. Now I just want to ask, um, why is that the case, <laughs> right? Uh, why, why is it the case that it's not good for man to be alone? Why, why are relationships really so important? Well, here's why, friends. It's because we were made in the image of our triune God. See, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, Jennifer read for us earlier, It says, then God said, uh, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, now here's a question I want you to think about here. Oh, 
why do you think God refers to himself in the plural here at this, at this moment? Now, of, of course, you know, uh, the, God reveals in the Bible that he is a trinity, right? One God, three persons. Think about it a lot. It makes your head hurt, right? But like that's revealed. So he's like, well, that's why he refers to himself in the plural here. He's, he's a trinity, and, and yes. But, but why here? Like that's my question. Like, why at this moment? Because if you read through Genesis 1, what you see is that at no other time does God refer to himself in the plural. It's very straightforward every time. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and let there be, you know, let the land produce living creatures. And that's what happened. It's, it's always, and God said. But here, it's let us create mankind in our image. Why, why draw out the plurality of God the usness, if you will, of God at this point in time. The, I think that it's because uh, he wanted to make sure that it was clear that when he created us, that he was creating us in the image of our triune God. And therefore, we were made to be relational beings. So we're made in the image of our relational God. Again, to quote the authors of the uh, relational soul, they write this. We are relational beings because we were created in the image of a relational God. By definition, the Christian God exists in relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. While existing as three distinct persons, they share one divine essence that's described as love. For God is love. And God can only be love if he exists as community. In other words, friends, if you're all alone, you, you can't be loving. There's no one to love. But if you are a community, you have others to love. So the quote continues. We were created with this relational likeness. And we long for relational connection because God exists in a relationship of love. Now, again, I, I know that the, the Trinity is, is a hard thing to wrap our minds around and, and can, can really kind of make our head hurt. But, but the, tr the truth is that God is love because God is a Trinity. See, God reveals in the Bible that for all eternity, there was never a time which he didn't exist as a loving community. For example, in John 17, verse 24, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says this, Father, you love me before the creation of the world. And that's, that's pretty significant. That's, that's Jesus who, according to Colossians 1, 16 and 17, is before all things and through whom all things were created. That is Jesus, the eternal Son, saying, hey, before the creation of the world, my Father has loved me. The Father loved the Son. Michael Reeves, in his incredible book, Delighting in the Trinity, which we have out on the, the table out here and would highly recommend you picking it up. It's so good. But in that book, uh, he writes, Here is a God who is not essentially lonely, 
but who has been loving for all eternity as Father, as the Father has loved the Son in the Spirit. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for this God at all. It is at the root of who he is. And uh, you think, what in the world does that look like? Well, we're given a snapshot of it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, at Jesus' baptism. That passage captures it in this way. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. See, I, I, I love this. Like, this is just this incredible scene where God like, pulls back the curtains of how he relates within himself, within the community of the Trinity. Where you have Jesus honoring the Father as he begins his public ministry with baptism. And at the same time, you have the Spirit of God coming to empower Jesus to do his work. And you have the, the Father uh, just bursting out like a proud dad, not being able to hold himself in and say, Man, this is my son whom I love. I'm, I'm so pleased in him. Like this is just the snapshot. <laughs> of how the Trinity relates with one another, the love that exists within the community of God. See, God is a community of persons who delights in each other, loves each other, honors and loves one another, and glorifies one another. As Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 1, on the night before the cross, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that I, that your Son, may glorify you. And listen on this, friends. It's because this is true. It's because this is how God relates within himself. That God is uh, infinitely happy. He's infinitely happy. I love this quote from Tim Keller in the book, uh, the, uh, Jesus the King. He says this. And it's a little long, but stay, stay with me. It's so good. He says, Because the Father, Son, and Spirit are eternally and continuously giving love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Now think about this. If you find somebody you adore, someone from whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that feel good? He says, it's sublime. Well, that's what God has been enjoying for all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into the other, each one serving the other. They are infinitely seeking one another's glory, and so God is infinitely happy. And then Keller goes on to say, if this is ultimate reality, if this is what the God who made the universe is like, 
then this truth bristles and explodes with life-shaping, glorious implications for us. If this world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is really about. Which, to bring all of this full circle, is why the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So if you're familiar with Genesis 2, you know what God does next. He, he actually creates Eve, right? And he brings her and he brings Adam together in the relationship of marriage. Now, oh, real quick, let me just uh, you know, ask the question that we might all be thinking, which is, uh, does that mean that we have to be married, right, in order to reflect our triune God and experience relationships of love? Uh, no, no, and I can say no strongly uh, because if you just go to the New Testament, uh, you see that that is actually not what it's taught. I mean, you get 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, what you'll see is the Apostle Paul literally saying this, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. Now notice those words, it is good. So God says it's not good for man to be alone, but then in the New Testament you see it is good for people to remain unmarried. Like this is an okay thing. It's a viable way to live. It's actually called a good way to live, to be single. See, the, and why do we, why, and we can absolutely know that's true because here's Paul, you know, author of a lot of the New Testament, says like that's what I'm like. I'm single. And even more importantly and significantly, you have Jesus himself, founder of Christianity, you know, the one that's all based on, who was also single. This is, a, it's not, you know, the end-all, be-all here is not marriage. No, uh, the, the, the thing that matters here are loving relationships and loving communities. See, to, to quote Michael Reeves again, he says, uh, made in the image of this God, we are created to delight in harm, harmonious relationships, to love God and to love each other. Thus Jesus taught that the first and greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. See, that is what we were created for. And that's what we were created for because we were created in the image of an us, a trinity, a God who is a loving community where each person in the trinity fully knows each other, fully knows each other. Like think about what Jesus says in John 10 verse 15 when he says, uh, the Father knows me. And I know the Father. So they fully know each other and they fully love each other. See, when we are known by others, when we put our guards down and we're honest and we're vulnerable, we're authentic and we're transparent, where we can really be known and still be loved, 
still be accepted? See, that's when we experience the type of relationships that we were created for. Relationships that mirror the Trinity. But, unfortunately, those relationships are really hard, aren't they? Those are hard to find. In fact, for many of us, the, the idea of like being fully known by others and still knowing that they're going to love us, they're not going to reject us, like that, that almost feels far-fetched, perhaps like unattainable or too idealistic, right? And, and the reason why it feels that way to us is because there's a, a key to having those kind of relationships that we lack. And because we lack it, we often find that our relationships and our communities feel unsatisfactory. And they feel shallow. And you can even be in community and still feel lonely. See, the reason why that's the case, or one of the main reasons, is because uh, we don't have something that uh, Adam and Eve had in the garden. That we've lost something they had. But the good news is that through Jesus, we can get it back. So here's what they had that we've lost. It's captured in the last verse of Genesis chapter 2 when it says, uh, Adam was with uh, his wife and they were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, uh, don't worry. I'm not about to start suggesting that we start taking our clothes off, okay? That's, that's not the point here. The, the, this idea of them both being naked and, and, and feeling no shame, the, the idea of being naked here is uh, both a description, yes, of their physical state, as far as we can tell, but, but not just that. It, it's re- really a description of all that they were, that they were, uh, in a sense, say, it's a statement saying they were uh, transparent. They were authentic, that there was nothing to hide, that there was no spin. They weren't trying to control what the other saw or knew about them. And the reason they were able to do that, to be that way with one another, that kind of vulnerability, is because they felt no shame. It's because they had a stable identity. And they knew they were loved as they were. And friends, that's what we all need. That's what we all need. We need to be unashamed and confident that we are fully loved so that we can be fully transparent and therefore fully known by others. But the problem is we do feel shame, don't we? So we think we can only be loved if we try to be somebody we're not or if we find a way to cover our quote-unquote ugly parts, our failures, our flaws, our mistakes, our selfishness, our weakness. And the reason we feel that way is because of sin. See, uh, what happened immediately after Adam and Eve decided to go their own way and to reject God's rule and eat of the tree, what happened the minute they did that is that they became ashamed and they covered up. And for at that moment, they knew something 
was wrong with them. And ever since, all of humanity has been doing the, uh, doing the same thing and has felt the same way. That whether you believe this story of Genesis 1 through 3 or not, whether you trust that the Bible is true or not, we all know that we all feel like there's something wrong with us. And so we fear transparency and we seek to find a way to cover up. And that keeps us from experiencing the relationships and the community that we were made for. It keeps us from experiencing the dynamic that the Trinity has when it's fully known and fully loved. Sin keeps us from having that, but that's what we need. That's what we were made to experience. But we can't get that because we fear that if we really open up, people will see who we really are, and they're going to hear about our flaws and our sin or perhaps even experience our flaws, and they will reject us. And so we distance ourselves from others, refusing to be in deep community, or we enter community, but only to a degree, only letting us be known to a, to a, a small extent. We hide who we really are. We, we do that because we know we need a cover. But friends, listen, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. That he came out of his great love for us. He came to be our cover. To cover our sin. And to clothe us with his love and his acceptance. See, uh, Psalm 32 says, and Romans 4 reiterates this truth. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. See, on the cross, Jesus was crucified for you and for me. And during his crucifixion, he was stripped naked. Remember, they cast lots for his clothes. And on the cross, that he was ultimately humiliated. Now, why was he willing to go through that? Well, it was because he loves you. It's because he loves you. That he was stripped naked and killed so that he could cover your sins. And friends, he did that for you even though he knows everything about you, that nothing about you is hidden from him, that he sees it all and he loved you to that radical degree anyway. See, in Jesus, you are fully known and you are fully loved. And friends, when that comes home to you, and when you believe that, like when you know that you know that you, that you know that, that, that you are fully seen by God and yet he loves you anyway, then you can have the confidence that you need to actually be transparent and authentic and unashamed before others. 
His love gives you the ability to finally enter community authentically and form deep friendships because you don't need anybody else's approval. For you already have God's acceptance through Christ. And so the love you have received from Jesus frees you from shame and it enables you to be transparent so you can move out into relationships and be known and chance being loved. So you can experience the community, friends, that you were created for. See, Jesus was stripped so you can be covered. Jesus suffered humiliation so you can be set free from shame. And because he did, you can develop and enjoy the relationships that you were made to have. So this week, if you're not in community, what I want to ask you to do is to step into a midtown community. Or if you're a college student, to step into midweek. For you and I were made in the image of a triune God. That we were made for communities of love. And for those of you uh, who are already a part of an MC or are part of midweek, what I want to encourage you to do is to lean into our practice this week that we're going to be doing in our MCs. And that is uh, to take a step in being known. That believing you are fully known by Jesus and fully loved and so covered by him, I want to encourage you to, to let people in. In fact, the practice this week is to, uh, to get with at least one person in your community and just share more about your story. And even share something that perhaps in the past you've been hesitant to share. To take that step into being known because you're covered by Jesus and you're freed by him to be able to begin to experience the type of relationships you were created to have, you were created for. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.